Relationships matter. We were made to have friends. It's kind of stitched into the very fabric of who we are as people. A friend of mine from university, I I did a psychology degree in my first year of uni, then quit and did graphic design because I didn't want to be a psychologist and just was the obvious thing to do, right? So did that, but a friend of mine went through his full um, psychology degree and, and he did a thesis on the effects of ostracism. Now, he looked at the effects of ostracizing someone, that's kind of leaving them on, on their own and seeing what would happen to them. And he kind of looked at that in detail. He then went on to do a PhD in psychology um, on what happens to someone who is consistently rejected. Right? He's a pretty happy guy to be around, right? <laughs> this is what he loves studying. But his results showed that when you are rejected by others and you're ostracized by others, you go crazy. All sorts of stuff happens. You hear about the crazy guy that lives in the woods, like the hermit. Crazy stuff happens to us. We are not built to be alone. We can't trust ourselves. We do stupid stuff and say stupid things and start dreaming stupid things. We are built for one another. We were built for relationships. What we see is that God has made us that way. Where did it come from? Well, we have a maker who has made us in his likeness because God is a relational God. So we think about friendships. We see that God made us that way because that's what he is like. Before anything else in this world existed, there was God. In the beginning, there was God. And he was in perfect relationship with himself, with the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Perfect relationship with one another forever. There were no issues, but they they were in relationship with one another. Even the way that they're defined is relational. Right? The father is only the father because he has a son. The son is only a son if he has a father. And the spirit goes out as the essence of both the father and the son from both of them. They are defined by one another. They are defined relationally. And that God made you and me to be a relational creature. To bear his image on the earth. To represent him. To live in relationship with him as our king and relationship with one another as his people, that we might live his way. That is why you were created. Relationships matter. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at this series of who are we? Who are we as a church? What are we about? We saw the first week that we're magnifiers. We exist to point to how great God is, to show his greatness to the world around us. The second week, we heard uh, last week that we are missionaries, that we've been called God's people. We are not firstly Kiwis or Australian or Taiwanese or Vietnamese. We are firstly part of God's family, part of His nationality. Our citizenship is with Him in heaven. And so therefore, we serve Him to tell the world around us about who He is and what He has done. We, we exist as missionaries to tell the great love of God so that others might come to know Him. We are magnifiers, we are missionaries. And this week, we'll see how God wants us to relate to one another as we are members. We are members. We are members of a local church. We are members, we'll see, of a family. Now, sometimes when you think about that idea of membership, you kind of think, you know, um, what are people members of? Let's just call out, what are you a member of? Love to hear what was that? <laughs> I didn't. Netflix. That's great. What else are you members of? It just blew my world. I want to hear, just call them out. This is great. University, University member. Do you have a membership card? Yeah, you got like a student card. Yeah, yeah. Other, other memberships? 
Bridge Club. That's great. Now, is it, I mean, you're engineering, right? So do you guys go out and build bridges? Is that the... Right, right. Okay, cool. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what about a gym? Are people members of a gym? Show of hands. Who's a member of a gym? Oh, look at that. Wow. You lazy people. There's like three of you in the room. Wow. As we think about membership, right, we often think of like, oh yeah, I'm part of this club or I do this thing. And the membership we're going to see tonight is a different type of membership. It's a membership that is deeply rooted in this relational idea of friendships. But more than that, that we are friends with God. We are part of His family. And the first thing we've got to understand about being a member of the local church is that we are friends with God because God has become friends with us. Just have a listen to what Jesus has done for us in the next chapter in in Philippians 2, 6. Have a listen. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The local church is first and foremost people whom God made for relationship, brought into relationship with God again. We are friends with God because of what Jesus has done. That he took on this nature of a servant. The one who created all things, who existed before all, became flesh, died on a cross so that we could be friends with God. He makes the first move. This is an amazing God. He sets the example of how we respond. He welcomes us. He takes us in when we deserve nothing. He offers us everything. If you're here tonight and you're checking out who Jesus is and you're thinking through what these Christians are about, firstly, we are people that are amazed at what God has done for us. We're not amazed at what we've done for Him. We've got nothing to offer Him. It's like I can rock up to God and say, God, I've got some gifts that you really need. He's like, you too. I made you. All the things that you have, I gave to you. This is the God who gives us everything and yet loves us so much that Jesus is willing to come and die in your place so that we might call God our friend, so that we might be a member of his family, so that our sin, our rebellion against God might be dealt with and that we can look forward to a future with him forever. This is an amazing God. His action towards us, he's not passive. You know how sometimes you have friends and they'll be like, oh, I'll be your friend if you come to me first. That's not God. He's kind of more like the Labrador, the wise and smart Labrador, right? If you know dogs that comes up and is like, I want to be friends with you. I want to share my love with you. Stop running away from me. I'm not saying God is a dog. But if you reverse the letters, then you're fine. We get a sense of what God is like. When we hear Jesus tell the story of the prodigal son, there Jesus is talking about his heavenly father and the love of his father. Let me read to you part of this story and you'll hear what God is like in the way that he loves us and has called us into part of his family, being in in friendship with him. Luke chapter 15, verse 20. It's on the screen. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, So he ran to his son, he he threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Do you see the heart of the God who has made you? He longs for you to come to him and be part of his family. To come back to him. He's a God who's reached out and who welcomes us into his arms no matter what we've done. No matter how much we've, we've hurt him, his forgiveness and love trumps our rebellion every time. What an amazing God we have. And he calls us to be part of his family. The New Testament talks about the language of adoption in Ephesians, that we've been adopted, called in to be part of the family God now has. We can call him our dad because of what Jesus has done. If you trust in him. But here's the thing. You can't love a welcoming and inclusive God and not be a welcoming and inclusive church. You can't love a welcoming and inclusive God and not be a welcoming and inclusive church. It just doesn't make sense. We're part of His family. We're to resemble our Father. We're to be like Him. The very nature of God and the way He's acted towards us compels us to act the same way toward one another. To not have grudges and backstabbing and lying. Jesus didn't go, stuff them, they've rejected me, I'm not going to come and die for them. Idiots! He went, willingly, I will lay down my life. He treats us like that, even when we have been so poor toward Him. How should we respond as the people of God? As His family, as being members of His church? We should love one another. We heard in the first week that Jesus summarized the commands of God like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. That is what we are to be about. But he didn't stop there. He went on to say, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, loving God necessitates that we love others. We can't not. We have a God who has loved us so much. We should love him. And therefore, love others. I was starting to think through, what is it that could draw us away from loving others? What's the the risk for us? I think in our time and our culture, one of our greatest risks is politeness. Sometimes we would rather be polite and not say the truth to someone else than to actually care about them. Say how they might have hurt us. Uh, say, look, I'm worried about where you're going. To say the hard words like God does to us. God didn't just stay a long way off and go, oh, it's all right, you're pretty good. You know, just, just come back to me, it'll all be fine, there's nothing wrong with you. No, he said, I love you so much. My son was died for you, but you are a sinner who needs forgiveness. God wasn't politically correct. He spoke the truth in love. I think one of the things we need to watch out for as a community is that we love one another enough to say the truth. And not to care about the friendship more than the friend. You ever found yourself doing that? You've got a friendship with someone and you so value that friendship that you won't say that thing to the friend because it might ruin the friendship. You won't speak the truth in love. You won't tell them, hey, look, I'm really worried about 
how you're going in, in this area of life or really worried about what's happening here or there? Do you prioritize the friendship over the friend? One of the tools that we talk through in our Newish Connect, which talks through some of this, is a tool called SBI. Now, I didn't make it up, it's just, but it's a really cool tool. It means Situation Behavior Impact. You should all write that down right now because people go, I forgot what the words are. Situation Behavior Impact. It's just a really helpful tool to help you to be able to be part of a family together, to share our love with one another and to be truthful with one another. So let me, let me kind of run out how you'd use the SBI tool. It helps you not to be so aggressive and personal, but to talk about the issue. So let's say, um, you know, someone came up to me today. Um, say I come up to someone and I said, look, today, um, earlier today when we, we caught up before church, situation, behavior. Uh, and you said to me that you thought my teeth uh, made me look like a rabbit. Uh, now, I know you probably didn't mean but that, to do that, but it actually, impact really hurt me. Uh, and I know we were just mucking around, but I just want to let you know it hurt me. And I know you probably didn't mean it, but I just want to let you know. Now, if someone said that to you, what would you say? You'd be like, sorry. <laughs> That's so easy. But otherwise, the other thing I could do is I could not ever say that to that person. I could go away and go, they think I'm a rabbit. Uh, <laughs> seriously, I don't want to talk to them again. I think I live in a cage and I gnaw on carrots. And, and I could get so angry, I don't want to talk to them at church. I want to keep them at arm's length. All because I'm just too proud to go and actually have the discussion and let them know how it made me feel. There are all sorts of issues that come up that we, we hurt one another in. We, we're broken. We're not perfect. We tread on one another's toes. We say dumb things. We do dumb things. We don't think about it. But this tool is really helpful to be able to bring issues up. You can do it positively as well. So you can be like, oh, hey, you know today before church when, when we caught up um, and you, you said that you were really encouraged by um, that thing that I told you about um, mowing the grass. I just made it up. Okay? Um, I just wanted to say thanks for encouraging me. I've been feeling really down about that and, and it was just really helpful. Situation, behavior, impact really is helpful. So often people kind of come up and they chat and like, I'm really frustrated with this person. I'm like, have you chatted to them? No. Right. Well, why are you talking to me? I don't know, I'm just frustrated at them. Okay, well, do they know you're frustrated at them? No. Why would I tell them? I'm like, well, because if they're frustrated you, they need to know. Like, we're not mind readers. And so I want to encourage you, go and have a conversation. Hey, look, the other day, uh, in this situation, uh, when you behave this way, it had this impact on me. It's far better than like, it's great in our marriage, Sarah and I use this a bit. It feels a bit corny at times, but it's way better than what happens otherwise. So here's, here's a situation from home. This is probably real. Um, so, so here's the situation from home. Uh, Sarah will be like, oh, let's start with me. I'll be like, oh, I'm just so frustrated that I've got no shirts to iron. I'll be like, why haven't you ironed me any shirts yet? And Sarah will be like, well, you always leave your shirts on the floor, so why, why would I iron any shirts when you leave them on the floor? So she's not answering the original question, which was harsh anyway, so get over myself, Rowan, iron your own shirts, right? But then she's just escalated and gone back at me and gone, well, you leave things on the floor. Then I go, well, I'm tired because I work and you stay at home. And you just play this game of kind of escalation and hack out on one another before you get to the point at the end where you go like, well, you're just lazy. And the other person's like, well, you just can't iron. Your mum never taught you anything. And then we end up in like your mum jokes. (laughs) But honestly, how many times has that happened in discussions with people about real issues? And you don't talk about the issue that's actually gone on, their behavior and the impact it had on you. You start going, hey, you know what? You hate me. I think they think this about me and you draw a whole narrative in your head about it. Stop it. 
we're called into a family, and we'll see why in a moment. And use that tool, situation, behavior, impact, to help relationships go well. Well, God's friendship with us is amazing. And he calls us into part of being his family. But he calls us to be more than just friends with one another. Uh, They are friends. Have a look. um, A few verses on the screen. Verse 3. Paul thanks God for this church in Philippians. Where we see there's this great friendship they have. Verse 4. He says that he prays with joy about them. Verse 7, he says, I have you in my heart. Like, how nice is that? Like, I have you in my heart. I don't think he's literal. Some people, just, this just shows you here that um, the Bible is not always exactly literal. Some people have that view. If it says it, it must be true. So was Paul here thinking that the whole Philippian church was in his heart? Like, he's got a big heart. No, he's saying figuratively, I care for you. Verse 8, uh, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul has this deep love for this church. It sounds like there's a great friendship there. Paul's love for the church kind of is modeled off God's love for him. He cares for them. He has this great friendship together. But there's more than friendship going on. There's more than friendship. It's partnership. Have a look at verse 3. Philippians 1 verse 3. It's on the screen. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnership is the thing that makes this, this, this kind of um, this family unit, this church. They are partners together. Now, I want to read you something that uh, we read it at Newish Connect. So if you've been along, you, you will have heard it before. But they're the words of a Navy chaplain showing the difference between friendship and partnership. And I think they're really helpful. He says this. I remember as a young man in my 20s, I witnessed the exhilaration that partnership brings. I was a chaplain on a ship that took part in the D-Day landings. We were anchored off Normandy beaches for three months and the minds of everybody on board was concentrated on one thing, making the operation a success. No one considered his own affairs, but all thought only how they could be helping one another in the common task and making the operation a success. I remember noting in my head, how I had never been happier. But when the invasion got well beyond the beachhead and our ship returned to England and the thoughts of the ship's company were occupied again with individual affairs, everyone noticed the difference in atmosphere on the ship. It remained quite friendly. It was a well-run ship. But several sailors asked me why we couldn't maintain that old spirit. The answer was simple. During the three months that preceded and followed D-Day, our thoughts had a minimum of self-centeredness to them. We all gave ourselves to the activity and object of our mission. Once the undertaking was over, we all reverted to thinking about our own purposes, as we do normally. So that's the difference between friendship and partnership. You always have friends before and after the mission. But during the mission, these guys had a single overriding purpose. They were at war. They were bound together tightly, far tighter than any friendship could. They were taking bullets for one another. They were looking out for one another. This was life and death. And this partnership drew them together into a community that was far better than just friends. Friendship is is good. We enjoy one another. We hang out. We want good things. We all need friends. But partnership is different. Partnership is not opposed to friendship. It's just far more powerful. And the, the family that we are called to be members of 
is a, is a family of partners in God's mission. Listen to what the mission is that we share together. Philippians 1 verse 3. Give thanks for every remembrance of you, always praying for joy because, verse 5, of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It's this news of Jesus' life, death, resurrection and ascension that calls this church in Philippi to be so linked to Paul who's not with them. Their partnership in the gospel is fantastic. They've been sending financial support to Paul. They've been praying for him. They've been sending letters while, while he was away. When Paul was back with them, they'd been there together and they learnt this news of Jesus from Paul. This is exciting. Look at verse 7. Paul says, It's right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and establishment of the gospel. What is the mission that calls this church to love and care for one another as a, as a local family that God has created? Their partnership in the defense and the establishment of the gospel. They were at war. They, they, were, they were sharing this news of what Jesus had done by becoming flesh and, and saving us and, and forgiving us and offering us life. There were people around them that were like Nero in the 70s that kind of, after this point, wanted to take them and stick them on posts and light them up and kill them because they were Christians. They were at war. But they were partners in the gospel. They were together. So listen to what Paul says in verse 9. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This partnership had a purpose, defense and establishment of the gospel, but also to make sure all of those who were on the ship stayed on the ship. All those who were in Jesus continued to be pure and blameless on that last day. It was in view of the last day coming of Jesus' return that they were saying, we need to make sure everyone stays on the ship, that we care for one another, that we love one another because we're family. Because we're together in this common mission with Paul and one another of telling people the news that gives life. We don't have time for bickering or complaining. We don't have time just to say to the guy at the front who's like looking like he's going to fall over the ship, oh, it's fine. He can fall over to the sharks and they'll eat him. Oh, well. No, we want to be caring for one another. As, we look, as people look like they're walking away from Jesus, if they're having a hard time, we need to be making sure we're standing alongside them. And you notice in verse 11, Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. We're to actually live lives that are righteous, that are like Christ, that are fruitful. See, if we prioritize the friendship over the friend, then we won't care about whether they're living a way that honors Jesus or not. We'll just be like, I'll do whatever you want. I'm not going to say anything because that's that's rude. But if we care about the friend, if we care about the the partner that we're serving alongside, we're going to say, hey, I, just, I don't know, when you chat about that that way, I'm just not sure how you're going. I, I don't know, how are you going in your relationship with that guy or girl? How are you going at telling the truth? How are you going at honouring your boss? How are you going in, in, in not gossiping? How are you going in, in thinking clean and pure thoughts? How are you going with your eyes? So many ways for us to fall off the boat. Satan's prowling around going, this is brilliant. Don't worry about Jesus. Just live your way. Life will be great. Live it up now. Eat, drink, and be merry. Hey, even the Bible says that. But then comes death and separation from God forever. This is not a dress rehearsal. 
Satan is trying to pull people away from him. And all around this boat, this figurative boat called the local church, are people sinking. People who, who aren't trusting in Jesus. We need to be calling out from them, get out of the water, get on the boat. We need to be caring for those around us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it means to be part of the family that God has brought us together in here in this local church. It's no good being a church that absolutely love being friends, but who let one another live impure lives that dishonor God. We're at war. We need to keep the mission of our king at mind. We need to be more than friends. We need to be partners in the gospel. So what does that look like? Well, what does it look like to be partners, to be members of this, of this church? Well, Paul describes it as a body. It's point four, if you're following your outline, as a body. Look at 1 Corinthians 12. For as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now, the key point to remember here is that we all play a part. We are all different parts of a local body called church. We have different gifts and abilities. God made us the way we are so that we might be part of this local gathering. We might serve one another in this way. We are part of His body here gathered together at Uni Church. Every single one of us. Look, look around. Look at the parts of your body. Look, of, of the, the people. You're not looking enough. Look that way. All right. Like, some of us, like me, we're like butt ugly, but we're still part of the body, right? And others of us, we've got weird accents, we've got different skills and abilities, but God has called us together, and we are part of this local body called the local church. This is what Paul says in verse 26. So if one member suffers of that body, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. To get a picture of what this family is like, as one of us is going through hard times, we suffer alongside them, we, we care for them, we look after them, we're like, how are you going? This is what we're called to do. And as one member kind of does well and grows in godliness or has some success, we celebrate together with them because of what God is doing in and through us. We are members of this body. Now, some of us are different parts and that's fine. Now, there are two attitudes, though, that I think that erode this sense of belonging to a body. The first one is we come along and we despise our place in God's church. We think, I'm not part of this body. We say, look, I don't belong. I don't feel like I belong. But this image says, that's like the foot saying to the hand, I don't need you. Like, what's the foot doing speaking anyway? It should just be walking. Be speaking to the hand? Just walk. <laughs> We need our feet and our hands. That's part of what a body is. It doesn't stop you from belonging because you're a foot. Some of us, we might feel like we're we're the armpit of the body. A bit smelly, a bit hairy, I don't know. And kind of like, who wants, like who, seriously, who wants to be the armpit? Don't put your hand up. Uh, <laughs> but imagine if we didn't have armpits. What would that look like? I can't, I can't even imagine that. Yeah, your arms stuck to your side and you walk around like a penguin? Like, what's that going to look like? We need each other. We shouldn't say, I don't belong here. There are some times, I think, where guilt and shame get in the way and we think, you know, if people at church knew what I was really like, what I really thought, I don't belong here. Friends, God knows what I've done and what you've done. He knows what I think and what you think. 
and he's loved us all the same. And so we need to not think that we don't belong. The only reason I can think of that we think we don't belong is because we think church is for perfect people. There's no perfect people here, I'm sorry to say. Definitely not me. We're all broken. We forget church is a hospital. Being part of a church is like being part of a hospital. It's for people who've got issues, who are broken, who are sinful, who need God's forgiveness. Do you know anyone that walks up to a hospital and goes, oh, what have you got on the operation menu today? I might just have an operation. Are you sick? No, no, no. I just want to come along to, to the hospital to kind of have some fun and hang out, free food and get an operation. Who does that? No one does that. Unless there's issues, then you really need to do be at a hospital and kind of think through things. Why do we come to church thinking that we've got it all together? It's as crazy as going to a hospital when you don't need an operation and asking for one. No one here is perfect. We've all rejected God. And so we come together as broken people who've been saved by an amazing God, who get to call Him our dad, who get to be partners in His mission and, and love and care for one another as we love and serve Him. Of course we're going to say dumb things and do dumb things and smell dumb ways and look dumb ways. Like we, This is going to happen. But we are part of His church. Please don't keep telling yourself you don't belong. Tell Satan to shut up when you start thinking those thoughts. Don't listen to those self-doubts. Give yourself a good talking to. Jesus didn't go to all the effort of coming to earth, of being born, of passing through a birth canal, of suffering for us, of shedding his blood for you, of purchasing your place in his church so you can keep telling yourself, I'm unfit to be here. He didn't do that. He did it so you might be part of his church. That you might trust in what he has done and serve the God that we love. Jesus died for you. The church is here for you. So please don't despise your place in church. Please don't disappear by going, oh, look, I don't need to go to church. Going to church isn't that important. I don't, I don't need to be there as part of that body. Well, if you're not here, it's like a, a legless church. It's not how it's supposed to be. Uh, is it true that you can be a Christian and not go to church? Well, yes, for a short amount of time. Because you'll never be a godly Christian and not go to church. Uh, you, ne- you need to gather together. It's part of the obedience that we have. Hebrews 13.3 says this, Encourage each other daily, while it's still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. We become companions of the Messiah if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. Gather together. Uh, the apostles in, in Acts 2, they gathered together morning and evening every day. And we're like, man, going once a week, that's hard. Oh, it heaps on. I wonder if we've forgotten the war that we're in. I wonder if we've forgotten the mission that we've been called partners to be in. I wonder if we've forgotten the love that our God has shown us. I'm not saying we've got to meet together every day, morning and night. But I am saying we need to turn up. I need you. You need me. We need each other. Because we're family. Well, the second error is not despising our place in God's church, but despising others' place in God's church. It's the opposite error. You ever been in that position where you kind of, you've got someone, you're like, oh, I wish they weren't here. Church will be so much easier if that Australian guy wasn't there. Right? You ever thought that? No, don't put your hand up. I'd be out. We slacked to Lachlan, right? 
But sometimes we, we kind of do that, don't we? We think, oh, look, I'm, I'm a good person, and look at them. Their, their life, it's just not all together. They shouldn't be here in this hospital for sinners. <laughs> we, we inflate ourselves, or, or we go like, oh, I just wish they weren't here. It would be so much easier if I didn't have to talk to them. They talk in a way that I don't like, or that they just annoy me. Or That's, that's not what we're called to be like. We're, we're, God has called these people together around Christ. Do you think God went, all right, I'm going to pick all the, all the good people, or all the, all the people that are helpful to me, he chose Israel. They weren't even a nation. And he made them a nation. And they kept rejecting him time after time after time. Did God choose poorly? Did he, did he not know the future? No, he knew the future. He picked a people that were nothing. So it could be very clear to the world around that it was God who'd brought this nation through. It was God who did it. We exist to show how great God is. Our, our flaws, our brokenness points to how great he is. So we need one another. It's part of the joy of being part of a church is that we are different and that we've got different backgrounds. We can't say, I don't need you. Well, what does it mean then to be a member of this church? If we say we are members, which is what this sermon's all about, what does it look like to be a member of Uni Church? Well, firstly, we do have a formal membership, and that just means you're saying, Yeah, I'm part of this church. Uh, it means I'm a Christian, I trust Jesus, and I love the direction this church is going, and I'm keen to be part of it, and, and I want to make this my church. Uh, and so becoming a member is that formal process. But more than that, it's saying, yeah, I'm here. This is my home. This is my church. This is where I'm serving God at this point in my life. What does it mean to be a member at Auckland EV? What does it mean to be a member at Uni Church? It means that we're committed to one another. But it also means this. It's going to be hard. I want to prepare us for this. It's going to be hard to be part of a church because we're, we're broken people. Listen to what Carson says. Don Carson says this in his book, Love in Hard Places. It's so true but helpful. The church is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents common jobs, or anything else of the sort. Christians come together because they've been saved by Jesus Christ and owe Him a common allegiance. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. And look, that's what we are, right? We're a band of natural enemies, the people who are awkwardly together. Like, why would you be in the room with an Australian? You wouldn't. You're like, what is that guy? Or, or you think about where we've come from and our backgrounds and what has brought us together. It is the news of what Jesus has done that forms that partnership. And so we need to work hard at it, for it will be hard. We need to stay clear on the mission. As, as hard times come, as you like, want to try and serve and love others in your church, you're like, oh, this is hard work. You're like, yeah, but unless I love them and look after them and care for them, Satan's going to take them out. I'm part of the church. We're here for one another. And so we need to stay clear on the mission. Church does not exist for my comfort. Church is not a cruise ship where we sit back and drink kind of cocktails on the deck while the cruise ship takes us to our holiday destination called heaven and be like, isn't this great? There's nice food and we get to open the Bible and think about things of God and oh, sit on my deck chair and look out of the ocean and be like, isn't God great? That is not a picture of the here and now. Picture of here and now is a battleship. We're at war. Satan's trying to take us out. It's hard. We've got to keep clear on what we're doing. We are at war. We've got to see the mission that we are on. 
And we need to let the gravity of that mission pull in our perspective. Oh, they laughed at my teeth because they look like rabbit's teeth. I went, get over it. We're about to die. Jesus is coming back and people are going to hell. Gee, it puts things in perspective for me when I, when I feel frustrated or so-and-so, you know, oh, they didn't, didn't like the first point in my sermon. So feedback this morning it was great. It was really helpful. The temptation's like, no, oh, I didn't like the first point. I'm like, get over it. It's not about you. It's about helping people to understand God and that person was being helpful and doing exactly what the sermon said. So shut up and move on. We're at war. Sometimes I need to be told, shut up and move on. Remember what's going on. Trust my God. Now, as we grow as a church, it's going to be hard for that community to kind of keep happening. Because people think, look, I've got to know everyone at Church. I need to make sure that I know everyone because that's what it's about, right? Because we're family. But I want to say, look, as large families grow, you don't necessarily know everyone. They have kids and the cousins have kids and you're like, I don't even know who's my cousin and who's not. But I can guarantee you one thing. My cousins know their kids' names, right? The important thing for us as a church as we grow is that not that everyone knows everyone, but that everyone is known. It's not that everyone knows everyone, it's that everyone is known. That we actually have people that are caring for you and walking alongside you. That's why we have connect groups. Connect groups are really, really helpful structures for us as a church to make sure we're loving for one another, loving one another, sitting under the word together, keeping one another accountable, I want to say, if you're not in a connect group, it's dangerous. Not because the Bible says we must be in a connect group. Sure, we could say, the Bible doesn't say that, so why should we do it? The Bible says they met together morning and night every day of the week, so why aren't you doing that? Connect groups are a great way of getting together and, and loving and, and making sure that we're known by others. So I want to encourage you, if you're not part of a connect group, join up. You can fill out a little thing on your connect card and say, look, I want to join in one. Um, if you're not regular at a connect group, I want to say... For the sake of others, be a part of that smaller body, that section that meets together so that you might be known and others might know you. Be regular at church. Come along. Care for one another. We're family. We should walk out of here tonight singing that song, right? We are family. Right. That's, that's just, Yeah, thanks, brothers and sisters and me. Um, I worked on that all day. No, I didn't really. Sometimes people hate the structure. They say, oh, look, there's structures in this church, and I don't really like that. They're kind of structured. I want to be organic. I'm all for organic, right? It's healthy. It's good. Tomatoes, they look great when they're organic. I'm all for organic relationships where we love and care for one another, but you just can't do it as your family grows. They've got one or two choices. Let's limit all the people that get to experience God's forgiveness so we can have organic, nice family now. Or... No, let's invite more people in to come to know Jesus and church will grow and I won't know everyone, but I can use some structures to help us grow. Do you know they grow organic tomatoes in uh, hydroponic structures? That's a great illustration, isn't it? The organic tomato needs the kind of structure there to be able to, to, be able to grow. Uh, you think about a, a vine and a trellis. The vine needs the trellis to grow on, otherwise it's just a crazy mess and it can't be healthy. We need structures for relationships to happen. Think about your friends. Where did you meet them? Primary school, high school, what was that? Structure. The structures exist to help relationships happen. Our work colleagues, university colleagues, family, we all have structures, connect group, church. Oh, look, structures that help us to do this. Structures aren't bad. All families have structure. If you've got a little family, like maybe one, one, or, one or two kids, you don't necessarily need like a chart on the wall of who does what every day of the week. But imagine you've got 12 kids in the family. You can guarantee that there's a chart on that fridge. 
It's like Johnny's doing this this day, so-and-so's taking that to that person's place, and they're picking up these people. It's going to be like some elaborate flow diagram on the fridge where everyone, there's a structure there. Now, is a big family any less a family because they have a structure than the little family? No. No, but having the structure helps that big family operate. We are a big family. And if you don't have structure and you're a big family, what happens? Well, you leave one kid at home and you go on holidays to Paris and they write a whole series of movies called Home Alone. <laughs> and you've got to watch it. <laughs> Structures can help. Third thing, the other thing that stops connection happening is that we're afraid to ask one another's names. We're kind of like, oh, I've known that person. They've been coming to church for like two years and I've forgotten their name. Now I can't ask them. And it's hard. And it's because we, we care about our pride. We care about, but we should just be like, look, I'm sorry. I think your name's Greg. I do this all the time, especially to my kids. No. <laughs> I never say Greg. I always use one of their names. But, um, uh, you know, look, I, I'm sorry. And I just kind of guess their name. Like, I'm, I'm just not great with names, but I'd, I'd love to know your name. Now, I'd imagine if someone did that to me and they've forgotten my name and they try hard and they want to know, I'm like, hey, they want to know my name. That's good and helpful. We need to get over ourselves rather than being polite, be like, man, we need to know one another. We need to be in one another's lives so we can share that, particularly the people in our connect groups. So what I want to do today, I want to call today the yearly name amnesty day. So after church, I want everyone to ask everyone they talk to, sorry, what's your name again? So there you go. You've got permission to ask names, it won't be awkward. You can just say it. Uh, maybe we'll do this not more than yearly. We can have a name amnesty day. You're like, look, I'm sorry. I've just got to ask your name because Rowan said we've got to do it. And that way we can get on and love and care for one another and be like, all right, let's move on. And then if someone says to you, I can't believe you didn't remember my name, you can go, well, the other day, situation, uh, uh, when you said you didn't know my name, behavior, uh, it really hurt me. So you could, you could explain SBI and, and do it that way. Uh, and you know, no one's going to be crazy and be like, what, I can't believe you didn't remember my name. We just need to move on. Unless maybe you're married to them and that's awkward. <laughs> One more thing. What about if I'm trying to express membership of this local church, but I just feel like it's not being reciprocated? I feel like I'm trying to love others and I'm pouring myself out, but I'm getting nothing back. Have you ever felt that way? Well, in one sense, I want to say, look, oh, I'm sorry that you're in that position. You're feeling like you're not being loved. And I'm sorry that I haven't been able to love you. Yeah, so you at least feel loved from me. Um, maybe that's a good thing. But anyway, um, I'm sorry for that. But I want to help us to think through this. Everyone has been loved by Jesus. Everyone has been shown so much love, more love than any other person could give them. When Jesus died for them at the cross, he died with you in mind. He loves you. So when you feel like, man, I've been pouring my life out, I'm getting nothing back. For me, I find it's because I've shifted my eyes from what Jesus has done for me to thinking about that life exists for me, rather than looking at what he has done. Now, should we be loved and cared for by others? Yeah, but we need to focus on the way that Jesus did it. He laid down his life. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant. So when you feel that way, I want to say, firstly, look to Jesus. He loves you. Be part of his church. Secondly, maybe tell someone. Say to someone, look, ring him up. Hey, look, I've just been thinking through a few things and I'm just feeling really exhausted, like I've been pouring out my life. I just want to come around and chat. Is that all right? Can we, can we catch up and grab a coffee? The other person's not going to go, no, no, no. You, I'm not going to pour out for you. You've got to do that for me. 
No one's going to do that. We're just at loves and cares. But sometimes we need a little verbal cue. Oh, you're feeling exhausted. Uh, sometimes I expect Sarah to be a mind reader and know exactly how I'm feeling. But if I don't tell her, she can't love me. So often we feel like we're pouring ourselves out, but we never give others the opportunity to love us. We need to be responsible for that. They can't love us unless we share how we're feeling. So I want to encourage you to fe- share how you're feeling with one another. Don't be always like, oh, I need all the love in the world. It's all about me. No, it's about serving one another and being partners in the gospel. But do speak up. Now, there's two things that I want to tell you about that we've done to try and help this idea of being members of a church work. Two things that we're trying to do to help it. Number one, we're launching our online directory. Woo, yeah! Now, the reason you guys didn't go totally crazy is because it's already been in existence, in existence for the past like four years and everyone's had access to it anyway. But lots of people didn't know that. And so this morning you would have got an email if you've been kind of an attender here for a while about how you can get access to that. It's called Elvanto. It's a cool name. It kind of sounds Mexican. I don't know. Elvanto, right? Um, I'm just going to... I've got no idea what it means, uh, except it means gather together in goodness. There you go. I made it up. Um, every time you read Elvanto, you think, yes, gather together as part of God's family. Right? There we go. Um, Elvanto is really helpful to help you know people's numbers and you can contact people. You can control how much of your stuff is on there. Um, you've got some details about how you can change that in your outline. I want to encourage you to, to download the app. You can do it now if you want. There's a little email. You can get there and click a button. Uh, and you can get the app so you can see where people are at in church. Not necessarily the location, but the numbers. And say, oh, hey, how you doing? Don't use it to creep people out. Uh, you can block stuff. Uh, but use that to be able to be in one another's lives. We're family, right? But the second thing that we're kind of doing to, to be clearer and grow in this area of membership is that if we need to see us loving and caring for one another, um, we need someone other than me looking after that in our church. Because I'm just not great at overseeing all that and the things I need to do as a pastor. Um, and so what we need to do is be employing another pastor to look after membership. That would be something that would greatly help us as a church to connect together, to have someone who's helping each of us, me included, how to love and care for people. And we need to get someone who can help new people come to church and, and lock in well and to see people who've been here for a while love and serve and grow together as a community. And so it's my kind of joy to announce that tonight, our second one-off giving project is to employ another pastor to oversee the area of membership. It's an area that we'd love to see. And if, as we've been going through this one-off giving series talking about a building last week and seeing the funds for a building come along. This one is we'd love to see the funds to employ a pastor to look after membership. Now, the exec have worked out that we, if, if we each gave around 200 bucks as a one-off, um, we'd totally have the funds to cover it. So the exec were pretty confident that with this one-off giving and with our budget as we grow as a church, that we could cover the funds to see a membership pastor. So two months ago, they gave me the go-ahead to employ someone. And I can tell you tonight that as of Christmas this year, we'll have a new membership pastor and his name is Andrew Coombridge. Here's a photo of him here. That's not him. <laughs> there you go. Andrew, Christy and Ellie. Um, so Andrew was part of Auckland AV in our first year. Uh, he actually set up lots of our membership processes. Uh, he knew about that. He then kind of did a, a kind of um, like an apprenticeship with us. Then he went back to driving ships, which is his old job. And then he did uh, an MTS apprenticeship for two years on the Gold Coast. Uh, and then has just spent a year and is finishing off theological training at Queensland Theological College at the moment. And then we'll be here uh, at Christmas to take over this role as we move ahead. So some of, some of you know Andrew if you've been... Who, who knows Andrew? Just show hands. How many people from Uni Church? Oh, there's a few. 
So you can have a chat out of those guys, see what they think of him and Christy. Uh, Andrew was born on the North Shore. Uh, he grew up in, in, in Auckland. Uh, Christy's half Kiwi. Ellie was born in Australia, but there's hope for more. And um, <laughs> uh, But really excited to have them come along. Uh, Andrew's very good at helping think through as a church how we connect people. And I think he really knows the heartbeat of our church. So it really is an exciting time for us as we think through this next year of having another pastor coming on to help us connect and grow together to see more people loving Jesus and being part of God's family. Yeah. So I want to encourage you to consider giving towards that one-off project as you think through giving towards the, the building. We'll have one more project to give to next week. But I want to end tonight on this note. We are family. We are, if we trust in Jesus and are part of this church, members of this local body called church. We're partners together on mission. We care for one another. We love one another. So let's be people that express that. Let's live out our love for one another as we serve our God. Why don't I pray now that God would help us to be what we are called to be, members of his church, loving one another so that we might belong. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much tonight for your word to see the importance of partnership and the community that the gospel creates. We thank you that you have loved us when we didn't love you, that you've expressed your love for us at the cross. We thank you that you've called us into a body where we can love and care for one another. And we ask that you'd help us to deeply care for each other, to turn up to be in one another's lives, to care for one another in those ways that we might put Jesus first and be caring about how we are serving you in everything that we do. We pray tonight that you'd fix our eyes on how great Jesus is. No matter where we've come from, no matter where we've been, that we'd see how great it is to be called part of your family. And we ask that you'd help us to express it. We pray for Andrew and Christy as they prepare to head across here at Christmas. Pray that you'd be preparing them to serve us, uh, for Andrew as a pastor of this church, to love and and care for us and help us to belong to one another. We also pray for each of us, that you'd help us to play the roles you've given us so that we might be standing firm in Jesus on that last day. Father, we thank you for the joy that it is to be called part of your family. We We pray this in your son's name. Amen.